Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. Uh, this land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long, long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, for sharing stories and song, and uh, we are privileged to be part of that storytelling here today and every day here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present, and uh, we are also broadcasting from Redfern right now. Redfern is the birthplace of black theatre in this country. And Redfern is a site for resistance and resilience uh, for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of color, speaking with people of color about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. Today on the show, we'll be chatting with Beragaba Barkanji and Waka Waka woman Alicia Johnson. Alicia is a TikToker, podcaster and artist. She's recently released her own podcast that unpacks the black diaspora within the indigenous experience, Australia's ongoing colonial history and a Attempting to navigate the concrete jungle of Sydney through the black lens of a black through the lens of a black woman, but it definitely is the black lens of a black woman. <laughs> There's so much good stuff that she unpacks in her podcast. Uh, she talks about black love, what it means to uh, be in a relationship um, as a person of color, and what it means to decolonize the mind. You know. Yeah, and I think all of that speaks directly to the lived experiences Mm. as well. She will definitely, you'll hear a lot from her talking specifically on lived experiences, but more importantly, people speaking on behalf of those with lived experience and being spokespeople, but without having that said lived experience. And who is appointing them as Mm. well? Well, yeah, well, especially in this past year, you know, obviously the conversations around uh, Black Lives Matter has sparked uh, an ongoing conversation about what it means to be anti-racist but in amongst the conversations you may or may not you know this is kind of the thing you know sometimes they're invisible these people who speak on behalf of others and they could be within your own community but if you dig a little deeper you may find that they don't have the connection to community or the the lived experience as you said Sarah that gives them I guess the right or the ability to authentically talk about these experiences yeah and it also comes down to what's the transparency as well between these hierarchies who established these hierarchies Mm. is there a communication happening between the said community and the ones that are saying that they're spokespeople on behalf of community and within 2020 as well even throughout 2019 i feel there's been a big conversation around um cancel culture but i think we're diving more into a conversation now about the difference between cancel culture and accountability yes um that is such an important conversation to be having because so many people are pardon me saying this quick to cancel cancel culture and i hate i hate saying that but like cancel culture doesn't exist if you normalize accountability and you normalize growth everyone's capable of doing that yeah a hundred percent and it's something that um dr bond dr chelsea bond speaks on she spoke on it recently on nitv's the point 
and she was unpacking how accountability actually functions within the black community and cancel culture doesn't actually exist within the black community. We've had a, you know, constant ongoing practice of ensuring that protocol, cultural protocols are being abided by and are not being broken and that we are constantly listening to one another and looking to one another to see that we are doing right by ourselves but also by our community. It's a kind of, she calls it, um, I can't quote her on this, but she um, often talks about that black criticality, critical Mm. thinking within our communities. So we can't really apply cancel culture onto the Indigenous community because it's a big difference. We don't do cancel culture. We've always, always done accountability. Mm. You are listening to Race Matters. And yeah, up next, we're very, very excited to be hearing from TikToker, podcaster and artist. Is that like the new triple threat of 2020? Mm, It is, isn't it? The big three. (laughs) Uh, Alicia Johnson, uh, really excited to uh, have some conversations with her. Today on the show, we're chatting with Biragaba Bakanji and Waka Waka woman Alicia Johnson. Alicia is a TikToker, podcaster and artist. She's recently released her own podcast that unpacks the black diaspora within the Indigenous experience, Australia's ongoing colonial history and attempting to navigate the concrete jungle of Sydney through the lens of a black woman. Thank you so much for joining us, my sis. No, you're most welcome. I'm really excited to be here. So you've recently released your own podcast called um, No One and releasing our own creative works, especially as honest and raw as No One is, it's a huge step outside of your comfort zone, especially when we as black women are constantly pushed into these designated boxes. So what inspired you to create the podcast and what was the catalyst for you to release it? I think um, with like a lot of uh, people and like, yourselves when we create content it's from a really genuine place and it's a raw place and um that's definitely where my podcast has come from and being um inspired by a lot of other creators and just express but if i be completely honest um the most inspiring thing was um going to university so going to uni and um having to um having to cope with all of this really heavy content and finding a place to transform that into a positive dialect and a positive experience um, because some of the content especially the first-hand sources I've been reading or covering were just putting me in a really low place like really triggering me and mm. and making me quite angry to be honest but I really wanted to have you know a positive and informed way to have a conversation with all of Australia. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up university because oftentimes when you're learning about, you know, cultural knowledge, it's always done in such an intellectualized way and it's quite clinical. And at the end of the day, like people are there to learn and when you're something there to be learned from people who are strangers to you, it can be quite, you know, alienating. Uh, at what point throughout... Exactly right. Yeah. At what point throughout university were you like, I need to inject the emotion into this. I need to inject the humanity into this. 
I felt like for a lot, if my first year at uni and my second year, I just felt like I was doing everything that was expected. For so long, I was told, you know, you're being too emotive or you're being too passionate or, or not having a, a objective perspective in writing. But as I grew more confident in academia and read other people's works, especially did colonial work, I realized that that passion is something that people want to hear about. It gives you an amazing mm. um, insight. And, and if, if anything, there's a great calling for that in academia. So I think it's really interesting that you brought that up because you've also got uh, um, your own TikTok account and it's a proper deadly TikTok as well. The content that you create on there, I love it because you're really taking up a space that you've utilised to release highly critical knowledge and it's something that I really love about social media platforms because I feel like the most truthful and valuable knowledge is from the minds of black women and so social media is being used by so many black women that wouldn't have a lot of access to so many of these other gatekeep spaces and so you taking up that space and engaging it with so much critical thinking what mm-hmm. made you want to expand from that first and go into Spotify because TikTok's far more visual whereas like with a audio with a mm. podcast it's all audio so what made you want to shift shift that platform so to be quite frank that's probably the reason why I've stayed off um, a podcast for so long because um, right now we're having our technical story journey together mm. but you said you really wanted to see me and I think that is such a fundamental thing, not just to black Australia, but indigenous people or people of colour, is this, the visuals, the seeing, the facial expressions, the humour. So I feel like I'm really lucky because I get all of that out of TikTok. But then in saying that, that intellectual thought, the higher thinking um, is in the uh, podcast. So the other really interesting thing about TikTok is you have 60 seconds to make a video. Mm. So that 60 seconds you have to um, whatever question you're applying to or whatever comment whatever audio you're using um within that you have to um really capture your audience so it's been like a mind game for me if anything it's been fun and humorous to challenge myself because if anything i'm so long-winded you know I, I, <laughs> it's love so everything has been like a fun a fun thing for me but in saying that i feel like some of the work I've done on there has been my most valued and my most incredible because I feel like that's such, a, and like you said, a, an important way of just accessing people I would have never accessed mm. before, communities that would never have heard me speak or and vice versa. And I'm really able, most importantly, able to sit there and go back and forth with these racists. So yeah. I like a lot of social media, but in particular TikTok is unfortunately known for that. And I do want to mention that. Um, and I also want to mention if you are on TikTok or if you're interested in making one, make sure that your mental health is um, in a good place. Make sure you have your support. I take time off regularly. There's an amazing team um, that are on TikTok. Mm. For example, we have um, Black Talk. Um, that kind of captures all the portfolios on there. But all of the creators, we are known to take time off just because of that um, emotional exhaustion. So that's kind of why I've enjoyed TikTok. But in saying that now, I'm ready to really have the yarns and, and have those deeper, longer um, conversations, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And that time you take for yourself is so crucial. Like we were talking about that recently as well, that there's so much emotional labour that we not only give 
online, but we give it offline as well. But when it comes to our offline space, it's a bit more harder to exit. So we kind of really have to, we have to be the ones to remind ourselves to take care and exit and give ourselves that break that we owe. We owe, our, we owe ourselves that break. Because I think sometimes we as black people, as people of colour, we forget to switch off. <laughs> That's exactly right. I think because even um, from, again, a critical perspective, and this was something I've talked about on one of my lives. If anyone's interested, 8983AJ on Instagram. Um, but I was talking one uh, one night about that. This is a, a terrain. This is an environment our parents never navigated, you know, even our older siblings. So like us in our lived experience, again, as people of colour or Indigenous people or even any minority, you can kind of tap into a source or someone older to guide you on this journey. Um, but for many of us, we don't have anyone to yarn about, you know, being racially profiled online or mm. stop or... Um, you know, uh, feeling desensitized to things as well. So I feel like conversations like we're having right now are so important for my own generation, but also those younger ones coming up as well. And and I feel like that's why alternative representations on um, TikTok and Instagram, even on Spotify, is so important because there can be a lot of um, toxicity, unfortunately, to kind of find your way through yeah and you it is it's a lot of responsibility in a way it's a lot to navigate but it's also um it is really crucial because black women we we hold so much knowledge particularly within our own lived experiences and you speak a lot on that black lived experience and why it's crucial that those of those those of that particular lived experience should be the only ones to speak on it and do you think because black women are so often silenced and spoken for that there's a lot of complex and critical knowledge that is being blocked and simplified that, first of all, I just want to thank you for your own genius because that is an incredible, remarkable question and I think that really succincts a lot what's happening right now in Black Australia. Mm. You know, we are really seeing um, a division, or unfortunately, within our community or within our collective um, and I think we need to start identifying that, you know what, everyone has their own experience. Some are more privileged than others. Some are more disadvantaged, um, disadvantaged than others. Now, my second most important to that, uh, a point to that is the only reason why we need to identify these disparities is so we can really help or assist or draw attention to the ones that need it the most. Mm. I'm not to be paid. I'm not looking for a crown. I'm not looking for jewels or, I don't know, a mortgage. I really just want to make sure that a distribution of attention, power, um, assistance, even financial aspects are provided to those that most need it. You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. And uh, there's been a lot of conversation recently about uh, self-appointed leaders and how this complicates the resources and particularly spaces shared within our communities. And it's really infuriating to watch since most of these self-appointed leaders, either directly or not, uh, are appointed or are being enabled by white people and not by the community. Um, Alicia, why do you think it's a vital conversation to be having right now? You know, the fact that in um, 2020 we are having these discussions is so vital. It is so important because I feel like we are so unaware and we have to understand with colonisation, as I always am shouting your mm-hmm. my um, Instagram, 
we only have 250 years and some change in Australia. There are countries out there that have been colonised or have removed the colonial power, but not the structures. 800, 900, 700 years in the Americas. So I think we on this soil, and not just black or white or anyone, we all collectively need to identify who is speaking for these minorities, who are speaking for these vulnerable or um, dispossessed collectives and why. And most importantly, how in God's green earth did they get there? Mm -hmm. I want to know how you got there. I want to know why you're up at that podium or why you have that microphone, but most importantly, why are you on the television and how did you get there, if that makes sense. And I feel like that is such a genuine, it is not loaded, it is not aggressive, it is such a, a genuine question and a great starting point. And I think we all in our own lives need to start um, reflecting on, on those types of questions. Yeah, I mean, leading on from that, what are the effects on community when self-appointed leaders speak inauthentically on behalf of others? Oh, again, such an incredible question. I unfortunately, um, navigating Sydney in particular, um, mm. this metropolitan, I wouldn't even call it a melting pot. I don't see it as a melting pot. I see it as a hierarchy. Mm. Um, navigating Sydney um, since I was the, the innocent age of 12 or 11, rather, um, I have seen the, the catastrophic um, effects that we, we see when we see appointed leaders out speaking on behalf. But most importantly, guys, the ones that are in the shadows. So the leaders that we don't see, yeah. the decision makers we don't see, the ones that are typing away on their computers and, you know, um, applying for funding or uh, speaking at this event or creating some type of um, resource and they have no access to the to the party or the community that they're writing about, it further um, dispossesses, disconnects and marginalises that collective. And unfortunately, it always, always goes back is to money or, um, you know, finding something that's economically viable or prosperous on their end. And um, I think that's such an important aspect of colonisation is the greed, unfortunately. Um, you kind of spoke really directly just then about exactly that the 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 you know people that are self-appointing themselves and becoming these spokespeople but we don't really see them and um no white saviors an instagram account which i love to follow they shared a really great post around this today um and it's around ethical storytelling and they say that it i loved it because it kind of speaks directly to everything that you're pointing out because they said the first rule of storytelling is to throw away the notion that you are the voice for the voiceless these are people without access those who are unheard or ignored but no one is actually voiceless just because you're not listening and i love this because i do feel like it really surmises our own frustration so clearly when we're trying to hold accountability to self-appointed leaders and so i just want to ask like how do you kind of take a moment to your own self when you're gaslit for stating exactly that and again that is such an incredible question and this is such an again an important point i want to tie it ties into the previous question in this one is knowing who i am so I am so deeply invested in my identity as mm. a Barkindji woman, as a Biragabi or as a Murray woman. I am so deeply invested. I spend hours upon hours upon hours connecting to family, learning about my culture, or most importantly, recognizing what I don't know and recognizing the privileges that I have. I've, I've stated many times, I do not live in Sherberg. I do not live in Wilcannia. So I can never speak mm. or I can never 
to try to um, be the middleman, if that makes sense. Rather, I feel like it's my job to um, A, shed light, but then B, pass that microphone over. Give that light, give that attention, that, that um, uh, podium as, as such, to those people in those communities. And again, I'm going to be super, super critical and I'm going to be super, super decolonial in this. But even in saying that, do we need uh, a non-person that is from that collective even storytelling for us? Do you know what I mean? Do I need a whatever capa- capacity you're in, do I need you to tell any stories for me? Because yep. what we see is those people in those communities, they need the followers. They need the interviews. They need the... Um, interviews, books, releases, whatever you want to call it, um, the notoriety, those people that belong to those stories need that attention. You know, I don't need an anthropologist. We don't need an expert. We don't need a narrator anymore of our stories. We need to distribute that wealth and we need to distribute that attention. But unfortunately, what Australia likes to do, like a lot of colonised countries, westernised countries, is water it down. You know, mm. is moulded, is sanded out. I gave, I'd like to give an analogy. If anyone's seen a piece of wood be sanded over and over and over and over and over, you can sand that wood like no tomorrow. That wood will look like nothing it looked like in its organic form. And I feel like that's what's happening a lot with our stories and even the, the notion of being self-published as well. I feel like a lot of people, they need to start investing in that. Do we really need publishers? Why are we using them? But most importantly, reflecting on how did those publishers get to where they are and what can they really offer if that makes sense. So always have that critical lens of when you're being presented any type of story, if that makes sense. Uh, Alicia, I want to pivot to uh, a recently released uh, episode on your podcast. It's about black love and uh, the beauty of it and uh, black love being political as well as, on the other hand, the fetishizing of black bodies. Uh, What led you to want to unpack this um, on on that episode? So again, um, that is a very, very uh, personal and intimate uh, area of my life. Mm. But because I've sat with it for so long, so uh, my partner on and off for 10 years now, he's the father of my child, um, because I've been connected to it for so long, I feel like I'm in the space where I have the, the brownie points to talk about it, you know. I feel like far too often um, people will embark on a journey and they might start sharing or start um, speaking from a certain perspective, but I feel like that lived experience once again is so essential. And this concept of being a storyteller, that is something uh, that is forever changing. But most importantly, that's something that you've committed to. And discussing this co- uh, concept of black love, I feel like it's so important in, 20, in 2020. We're seeing so much uh, fetishization of black women, brown women, women of colour, and the same thing for our men, and the same thing for non-gender binary um, collectives as well. So I feel like these are the types of conversations we need to have, and most importantly, the people that are embarking on black love, involved in black love, or may even be at the end of it. I feel like we need to be the ones um, narrating those stories in our own ways. And again, it's going back into this concept of colonisation. What does that mean um, for us in 2020? Our, our aunties didn't have to deal with this. Our uncles, our our grandparents, they never had to deal with this level of um, globalisation, fetishization, um, consumerism, all of these um, these types of concepts, but also oppression as well, I'd arguably like to say. Yeah, and it really is all-encompassing, including the black love lived experience as well, because when people 
non-black people try to engage with not only us as humans but also our content and what they create, that fetishizing happens. And a part of that fetishizing, I feel, happens is this, you know, strong black woman and there's like you know no room for vulnerability and it's always got to be either a you know angry or we feel passionate but they say angry and they kind of dismiss all of our vulnerability and all of our love because everything is rooted in love and also in terms of our own desirability as well that gets pushed to the side too in everything that we try and say and everything that we stand for and try and push forward for ourselves and for our own children and for our kinship so and our our desirability as black women is just often like not even an acknowledgement it's not even seen it's not even valued so that's why i really love that you included black love in there as well because that desirability like you know we need to have that space for vulnerability more so than ever and especially in order to feel be desired and feel desired yeah and that's exactly what you want i love how you said feel desired and be desired because i feel like there's a lot of that happening I feel like in, for a lot of women of color, especially on social media, there's that hypersexualization that we're seeing. So that was, and, and our men equally, and I'm mm. not talking indigenous men, I'm talking people of color, all of us. All you have to do is log on to Instagram. So my black love in saying that was to demonstrate to everyone. Um, and in the podcast, they say, you're not going to have, uh, you might not have matching nightstands. You might not have a his and her toothbrush or, you know, his and her sneakers. And, you know, you might not sleep on the same side of the bed or even sleep in the same bed mm. every night. You might be um, in bloody Queensland. You might be here. You might be there. But that journey is your own journey. We need to decolonize love and decolonize our homes. And my last, I guess one of my major points with um, loving a person of color or loving a black black person in a black body is your de- uh, decolonial experience will always be at different times. But I feel like if you keep trying and you keep trying like anything in life, you eventually become succinct. So I feel like uh, my own partner, he finally, um, we're finally on some level um, playing field where he understands when I see a cop and I act scared and I tell you to sit up straight, you need to sit up straight. You know, don't fight me over it. Or when I'm in the shopping centre and I say, oh, they're following us around, don't say, oh, just relax, relax, just calm down. Like, it's okay. No, I don't need you to coddle me. I need you to be like, yup, it's happening. Because I feel like those types of experiences, A, can lead to arguments, but most importantly, it's a riff. It's a riff in your relationship of observation, of your feelings, of your emotional reaction. So through years and years and years, um, my partner has gone to understand my relationship with police and him being a non-Indigenous person, um, those different types of experiences, but most importantly, validating that, if that makes sense. Oh, I'm hearing that so hard. De- so uh, <laughs> decolonized <laughs> love is the <laughs> decolonized love is the only romantic or you know emotional advice we'll ever need. Yeah, decolonized love. It just comes down to that. Yeah, oh well, because it, we think about de- like when we talk about love, we're kind of already decolonizing it, like subconsciously, in yeah. terms of how we view our partner, how we understand our love language and their love language, our, we, our gender roles. How even. we think they see us. How, you know? Yeah, it's all kind Gaze, of we're doing yeah. it, but you just like identified it so beautifully because I feel yeah. like me and Darren talk about this all the time. We just have never said decolonizing the love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See how you said that. See, so we never, we've never um, linked that language up. That has just become from reading and reading and reading. Mm. So I encourage anyone that listens to this: if you want to love a person of color, 
or if you're a person of colour and you want to be loved, you need to understand decolonising that very concept because you're constantly going to be bumping, bumping heads or if it's a um, polyamorous relationship, if there's more heads, it does not matter. That person or that individual that is attempting to love you and you're attempting to love them, they have to understand your history, but most importantly, your lived experience, what's happening in 2020. Mm. Oh, so true. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we really needed to hear that like, going, into, going into spring and going into yeah. this new season. <laughs> you're dealing with the decolonization, right? So you're dealing with all of that crap, but then again, you're still dealing with it because he comes home from work and he's had a bad day. You know what I mean? And I have to mm. put up with that. And, you know, so it's such an exhausting experience. Yeah. In the end, um, once you finally find that language or that, that self expression, it's so worth it. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing else like it. Yeah. Um, Alicia, what what can we uh, look forward to in the future of uh, of your podcast? So we have another episode of Black Love. Yes, yes! <laughs> give it to <laughs> us. The works, and we're going to get progressively more juicier and more juicier. So this um, first th- uh, few podcasts that I have were really um, putting my feelers out, but most importantly, um, through my podcast challenge, uh, channeling and challenging myself as well to share my journey, but most importantly, um, be a really credible lived experience and realistic um, representation of of all of those parts of, of a black woman in 2020, honey. She's mm-hmm. trying to survive. I've got a baby on my hip, but we're going to make it happen. Yeah, I'm so excited for what's to come for you for the rest of the year and all the years to come, sis. And I'm very grateful to be able to watch you and share this journey with you. And to wrap up, we asked this question of all of our guests, and that is Alicia Johnson. When did you realise there was power in your race? Oh, when I didn't realise. It probably would have been one of the first times I saw my dad play the didgeridoo. The first time I saw him... Um, pull pull it out. Um, he, we used to have it on top of our um, cabinet and he unwrapped it. it was, I'm sure it was wrapped up in an old sheet and he played for me and my sister for about an hour. And I just remember I was about four or five and I just remember sitting there and just thinking, this is so special and this is so important. Oh, thank you so much, my sis, for coming on with us and sharing space <laughs> and sharing your sharing your knowledge and your yarns and your dialogue. It's so um, it's so greatly appreciated, and we're so happy to kind of have you be a part of our Race Matters archive. <laughs> I'm absolutely honoured, and I think the work that you guys are doing is so integral. You know, for those generations that are coming up, and especially my little four-year-old running around. Um, so thank you so much for having me and just wish you guys all the best. Thanks, Alicia. Thank you, my sis. You are listening to Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. We're about to turn over a new leaf right now. Well, we have turned over a new leaf as we enter into spring. Oh, spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. And I can tell you right now, given this good portion of 2020 that's already occurred, I'm ready for the last four months of the year to be boring. We just need neutral. Super neutral. I don't <laughs> even know if I want anything good thrown my way. I just want <laughs> nothing to happen. <laughs> it's a bit like that. I think, yeah, the weirdest thing about kind of seeing people uh, out of lockdown right now is asking people, oh, how have you been? Like, what's going on? And are you like, should we be like, 
yeah, not much. I'm doing okay because we like admit it like we're going through a collective mass trauma right now on so many levels it is okay to not be okay exactly and i think something that i've been particularly feeling and when i speak to you and tanya and many of our other um our own people within our own communities it's that we're all kind of feeling fatigued Mm. we're feeling really weathered (laughs) oh my god (laughs) like and I kind of feel like sometimes like my my tank is completely emptied and I have nothing more to give. And particularly in the roles that we have within the workplace, I mean, like I do my own show over at Corey Radio and that's on the daily and, you know, trying to cover things that are current, trying to ensure that I'm giving something fresh all the time. And we also do it here at Race Matters. And the thing that we do in every space that we're in is we're constantly critically thinking Mm. about things Um, and it's what we kind of unpacked a lot with Elisa as well but I feel like even in doing that like it can find it can be really hard sometimes to just even think of something now to talk on or to Mm. talk about because we've covered so much already in September that I feel sometimes a little bit of guilt for the fact that I my I am fatigued and I can't think of anything fresh or think of anything new, especially as a creative person yeah. as well. And with so much constantly happening, like every day there's something new happening, like and something that's always constantly needed to be spoken on. And lately it feels like there's more trauma than anything else that needs to be spoken on. And I feel like when it comes to the online space, that's where I can get more overwhelmed with it. Mm. And so I've been definitely trying to kind of give myself that um, option of exiting from it all and and trying, like I'm really trying to practice not feeling guilt for my fatigue. I think that's a human thing. And I know it's definitely like, oh, you shouldn't feel like that. But I do feel like that. That's a fact. Um, I'm just trying to like kind of be more active in like, you know, saying that, okay, I'm, I'm owed a break. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, um, you know, you might be experiencing this right now, maybe not at, um, you know, levels that others may be, but, you know, so much conversation about what it means to be anti-racist, talking about Black Lives Matter means you are having uncomfortable conversations with your parents. You know, you're having these conversations in your workplace. You're having conversations with your friends that you might not normally have. And you need to acknowledge that like everyone has their limit of what they're able to expel energy-wise. And yes, we do have a responsibility to be having those conversations, but we also have a responsibility to ourselves to take care of ourselves, you know? Otherwise, what's the point? Like you need to conserve your energy and take care of yourself so that you are able to carry on this conversation later. and, you know, this is wrapped up in so many other things. You know, this idea of productivity. What does productivity mean? Uh, you know, it's something that we're taught living in a capitalist mm, society. You mm-hmm. know, we have jobs that tell us that we need to be tired after we work a nine-hour day. And therefore, we have no energy to work on anything else. Like, that's another conversation. But that's <laughs> something that you should be acknowledging as well. Like, and what does it mean for people of, like, you know, lower socioeconomic classes who cannot... Um, you know, who don't have enough money to survive and yet have um, ideals of what it means to be a person of color, to be black, to be indigenous, also being thrust upon them when, you know, the bare essentials aren't being met. Mm, Exactly. That's why I definitely feel like if you have a moment of not even just like relaxation, but just celebration. Mm. 
like, you know, because we do talk a lot about like exiting and self-care and taking that time off. I think we should also think about owing ourselves a, a, a moment of celebration. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> practicing culture or like the mere fact of existing is protest in itself. Mm. You know, the very fact that you, you know, take up space in spaces that aren't being set out for you. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I, yeah. When it comes to celebration, mm. I think we as people of colour and our many different diasporas and beautiful racial identities and what we've gone through throughout, because 2020, I feel like, is actually nothing new to what we already experience. Mm. It's just more heightened now and the lenses are off. The, um, the, the facade is gone the barriers and the gatekeeping is becoming more glaringly obvious. The social hierarchies, the financial hierarchies, all of it, we're starting to see it more. The other half are starting to see it more. Mm. And so I feel like for us, we already know everything that is being discussed right now and everything that's being unpacked and everything that's being seen for what it is. Um, I just really feel like if you are listening in and you are feeling that fatigue, Give yourself a moment to celebrate, whether that be hyping yourself, whether that be treating yourself, mm. whether that be, yeah, you could be taking a moment off of social media, but you could still be on social media and hyping your own self on social media, whatever that yeah. might look like for yourself. Like, go and engage in some real beautiful self-love right now and celebrate your existence and your community. You're more than owed to it. That is all for Race Matters this week. Big, big thanks to our guest, Alicia Johnson, for joining us. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. You can find us at fbiradio.com forward slash race matters or wherever you get your podcast. Catch you next week. Race matters. 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 Race matters.